Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's always very good to be here, and I wish everybody Shabbat Shalom, and hope they had a good week. Yeah, let's hope it was a good week. For some people in our community, it wasn't, because I'm concerned, and we haven't spoken in two weeks, so we could talk really about the last two weeks. I'm concerned about the escalation of certain anti-Semitic uh, episodes and the type of episodes they are we're now hearing about. And I know these are local issues, some of them, but we are hearing about the things happening in other countries as well. And uh, here locally, school buses that are noticeably Jewish uh, having rocks thrown at them or eggs thrown at them and, of course, attacks in the street that are completely unjustified. Um, I'm not talking about you know th- those situations where we thought they were hate crimes and proven not to be. I'm talking about real hate crimes. And again, and I know we've made this point a million times before, a lot of it has to do with law enforcement and the attitude and atmosphere in certain communities. Uh, in this area, I think a lot of people are feeling it drift away a little bit. And I think one of the only ways to to uh, create a reparable situation uh, would be what you've suggested many times, and that is to be in touch with public officials and to express appreciation for them and try to get them even more involved in our community. Uh, have you noticed the uh, uh, uptick over the last couple of weeks in anti-Semitic episodes? I see a constant uh, pattern of uh, increase, and, you know, for many years here on the show, we've talked about it, we've warned about it. Uh, if people want to see a, a longer discussion, I, I spoke at the Aguda Convention on Sunday, and it's available online, um, along with uh, Rabbi Shalom Kamenetsky and Rabbi Schnall, to talk about the uh, very disturbing um, dimensions that we're, people know when something happens in their community or they read about something abroad. But when last week, in, in the last week, the, the murder of uh, Mrs. Halimi, Sarah Halimi in Paris, who was thrown over her balcony as he yelled Quranic uh, phrases and uh, who was treated terribly by this uh, Arab neighbor um, who murdered her, uh, the people the, in Belgium who were yelling burn the Jews publicly and demonstratively, the the cases in Holland uh, also, which involved the death of a Jew, all of them were uh, was decided not to prosecute. They say they're, they were insanity pleas or whatever. Um, we saw positive things. The Pope came out very strongly in denouncing anti-Semitism, uh, and it said it's inhuman, unchristian, and he said the Jews are our brothers. He, he issued a very strong statement. And yesterday, in final recognition of the extreme growth in France of anti-Semitism, the government created a national anti-hate crime office. And after they found a, a Jewish cemetery in France that had been defaced with swastikas uh, and uh, all sorts of inscriptions, and the the um, uh, and it's only one of of a long stream of anti-Semitic attacks in that region and around the country. And there isn't a single country where we don't see double-digit increases in anti-Semitic manifestations, including here in New York City. And the the essential uh, part of of the uh, people is that people from every aspect of this get involved, report the incidents, report the incidents. This more than half of the incidents are not reported here. Right. People have to take the time, can't dismiss it, will never get the proper attention if they don't know really what's happening. And then go out and vote and elect people who will care. And the the uh, look, you look at what's happening 
in in England with Corbyn himself being accused of of 11 anti-Semitic incidents involving him, but more importantly involving the whole Labour Party. And uh, the uh, the eighth former member of Labour came out now to people not to vote for the party. And yet the study shows that more than half of Labour voters have anti-Semitic attitudes themselves and are Mm -hmm. sympathetic to his positions. And the the um, reaction of the Jewish community is very clear in the denunciation of the chief rabbi and many others. Uh, media denunciations, uh, uh, Corbyn makes these half-hearted apologies. But we know that it's endemic, and it's, uh, and it's pandemic today. It crosses all oceans and boundaries. And I, I hope people realize how serious this is. There isn't a morning when, when we get our reports from SCAN, the Secure Community Network, which I hope every institution visits uh, online, Scan US, and makes an appointment for them to, to do lone gun tra- uh, uh, training for schools, for teachers, for schools, and sec- does a security check and, and gets their local precinct to come in and do a security check, and they don't charge for it. Um, that the, the number of incidents on campuses every week and and since we were out, I mean, the numbers uh, keep going up every week, regardless. And the uh, it, it means that everybody has to recognize that Jew hatred today is a cancer that metastasizes when it's gone unchecked. You know, I, I spoke to a Jewish leader from the U.K. that's now spending some time in the U.S., and he said, you know, in the U.K., Growing up, you expect these type of episodes. You know, growing up, you know you're going to be beat up or, or whatever the case may be, you know, during isolated incidents. That's the nature of what's going on there. And they recognize that. But he said, you know, it, that's what it's turning into here. You know, the U.S. has never, we've never spoken like this about the U.S. and the environs of the New York area. And it seems that he's right that we're heading in that direction where random attacks are going to become more and more common against no- people who are noticeably Jewish. And that is. Frightening, and, like and you know, in, uh, people in Italy in the last uh, weeks, and they found uh, two incidents of of um, people with weapons and extreme right uh, literature and extremist literature and neo Nazi stuff. Well, in Sussex County, New Jersey, they arrested a guy last week. The second arrest in a, in a short period of time, and this guy had seventeen guns in his truck, in his trunk, and uh, they found also neo Nazi paraphernalia and and hate stuff and. Uh, extremist material, um, and and the pattern goes on around the world, and we are not immune, and so people have to pay attention to this. You know, you you published in the Daily Alert an interesting poll out of Great Britain, and that mm-hmm. and that was the attitude of those in Great Britain toward Israel, toward Jews, towards Palestinians, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Some of the results of that poll were interesting because it it, it sort of gave us the impression. That they have uh, that they have a um, uh, a very limited you know um, a very limited warm feeling for Jews, but that essentially push comes to shove, they're willing to support Israel because they have a you know a common enemy you know in terms of anti terror etc. Forty four percent see Israel as the major ally. This is the one you're referring to yeah. on against terrorism. But twenty one percent of nineteen percent of Brits say they're sympathetic to Israel. Twenty one percent towards the Palestinians. Well, there's a long history uh, because of Britain's involvement in Israel, because of the constant uh, media coverage, because of, the, of distorted coverage um, in Europe in general, but in Britain uh, as well. 
and the it's reflected in the numbers and the people and that should be a wake-up call for us as well why we have to stand against the lies and distortions in the media and on on the internet and to fight it in every way possible and you mentioned corbin am i right that the elections this week elections coming up very soon it's it's thursday and no and Uh, i mean the results could be troubling it could be right now uh Labor does not look likely to be winning, and the conservatives will. But the question is, will he have a ruling coalition, a ruling number enough to govern alone? Will he need to make a coalition? Um, and it's very hard to tell at this at this time yet what the um, what the outcome will be. And on the topic of uh, London and terror, did ISIS in fact take responsibility for the London Bridge terror attack? They did take uh, responsibility. Uh, never know whether that it's real or not because I don't. The police, you know, often don't know or don't talk about the connections that the perpetrators have. It scares people. It worries people. And and uh, but you know that how many years have I talked about the danger and it's still present, immediate danger that thousands of trained killers from ISIS from many countries are still at large have uh, have not been arrested. Um, and uh, have passports to come back. Right. Now, states, countries are, are an alert to it, uh, but you see that they're wandering around, and, and um, the president is trying to get countries to, to take them, and they don't want to take them. I understand that why they don't want to, but they have an obligation. I mean, you can't just let these guys get free to, it, because of Turkey going into the Kurdish areas, you know, where many of them were held in prisons there, and uh, they escaped some of them. By the way... Um um, on the, on the subject of, uh, now I totally lost my train of thought. I was going to say on the subject of uh, not being able to form a government, we should talk about what's going on in Israel, <laughs> but, there, but there was one last thought I had. Uh, oh yeah, that's what it was. Before we wrap up the terror situation, you've told us many, many times that on both sides of the ocean, as far as, uh, United States and Israel is concerned, you know of many, many cases of potential terror attacks that were squelched by, on the Israel side, let's say the IDF and, you know, security officials. And here, whether it's NYPD or others, you know, that are involved in counterterrorism, and that happens very often. Is is it the same in Europe, specifically, let's take London, for instance? If this episode happened last week, are, are there many more that, that uh, are, are, are threatening to the, you know, to the general London community, for instance, that are snuffed out by the police? Absolutely, many. Maybe dozens, if not more. In Israel's case, hundreds. But in in, in America case, we have a guy who was just arrested and sentenced to 40 years for being an ISIS supporter, um, American-born, indoctrinated. Um, We have... um, uh, many more cases in the United States that people don't bother to, to follow or the media doesn't even cover um, the, the number of incidents. And look, there are good things, too. We saw this group of 88 organizations, civil rights, religious uh, groups that petitioned as Education Secretary uh, DeVos to stop uh, federal funds from being used in uh, higher education, Middle East studies programs, if they support the academic boycott of Israel. Mm. And uh, the the National Resource, um, Middle East Studies National Resource Center, uh, which Title VI funds from the Department of Education, I think that they said that um, um, more than half of the directors have supported boycotts of Israel. And they're talking about even academic boycotts. 
so th- there are positive things, but the widespread number, and especially on campus, off campus and universities, unwilling to stand up for the rights of Jewish students until we, till we, until uh, the students stand uh, stand up for themselves. And in other cases, the University of Arizona, the, they passed a resolution supporting their Jewish students. Um, the students. Uh, council did because of swastikas and other attacks against Jewish students. But the yes, the number that we don't know about may be greater than the number we do know about. Unbelievable! I'll tell you the the, the precautions and the strategies that have to be uh, implemented and developed are just unbelievable in every single region of the world. Uh, all right, now we can move on to um, uh, to the inability to form a government, not in Great Britain, but in uh, in Israel, of course. Uh, so this week, this week uh, will become the deadline where um, uh, those who uh, think in the Israeli government, who think they can actually form a government or propose some type of government formation, uh, that will expire. And, uh, and we're assuming that a third election is going to be confirmed with a date announced. But there are a couple of interesting things going on here. There's now a proposal on the table, if I have this correct, and if I read the Jerusalem Post article properly, there's a proposal on the table that Prime Minister Netanyahu would, would alter the way he would participate in a unity government, instead of it being two years and two years or whatever the exact split is, he would take the first six months, he's willing to take the first six months, then uh, let Gans have the next uh, uh, 18 months, and then move back to Likud leadership for the next 18 months. Is that sort of deal going to get us closer to a unity government without a third election? Well, it's possible. I mean, I think they're trying to come up with formula that would make it palatable and that would enable them to avoid the third election, and they only have a few days left in this, and increasingly it looks unlikely, and that imparted the media putting pressure on them. But uh, the polls show the anger of the voters and disappointment with everybody, particularly Lieberman, others, that uh, that they haven't formed uh, a government. And uh, it's complicated because of Netanyahu's legal uh, challenges. And the reason for the six months is that the, the charges are likely to be brought in May or June. Right. So this would enable him to be prime minister until then. Right. Um, and then he would step down. But he might be able to negotiate some sort of um, uh, clemency or um, um, a deal where, where he would not be prosecuted, the uh, immunity deal. That is right now not likely, I think, but it could happen as part of uh, uh, of a solution because Lapid and others say they won't join a government as long as Netanyahu heads it. You see Gidon Sar mounting a challenge to him publicly and saying that he was prepared to lead government, and they say, well, if he was leading it, then they would be more likely that they could form a unity government between Blue and White and, and Likud, and um, Lieberman would join, others might join. The Likud has said that they only want it if the whole right comes in, or at least the religious parties, and they are are committed. It's very complicated, but the um, uh, you know the legal thing, the legal challenges, and now the sub the submarine case is up. It's coming up, and two of the closest uh, associates of Netanyahu and the former head of the Navy have been in, indicated they're being indicted, and. The um, so it further complicates because that's a you know defense issue seen I think as even more serious than most of the other things that that have happened. 
so we, we, we are in a very delicate moment. Also, and the fact is that it takes a toll. A lot of people say, well, you know, they function, the economy functions, et cetera. It is not true. I, I have seen it now myself where instances where you're trying to get a decision or things that need to be done, and um, it's hampered by the fact that they're all preoccupied with, with this. And if they go into an election, that means for the next three months things are sort of frozen, and the Knesset's not in session, and the... Um, uh, you know, agencies don't get funded, so it, it takes a toll. And um, I don't know. I, I don't see the the light yet at the end of the tunnel that would indicate that there would be an agreement. As I said here many times, I thought in the last days they would reach an agreement right. because they don't want to face the voters. Don't want another election. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world on the web at NahumSiegel.com and the NahumSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Practically, is a pardon and immunity the same thing? I mean, in terms of the result, uh, what, what, what each of them would bring? Well, pardon would indicate that he was uh, convicted and then he's let off, or immunity would mean that there would be no prosecution. Uh, I don't know how in the Israeli system it plays out completely right and um and that's on the table that whole in addition to the uh the six month thing that's another factor the pardon or immunity however you want to refer to it is another thing that's being uh, bandied about in terms of uh, being attractive to netanyahu to help this whole thing move along well i uh, think people don't don't generally they like people to be held to account but right. the 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 reports are i saw i think Jerusalem post others carried the story that it would take eight to ten years to do this trial there are 333 prosecution witnesses already named and nobody has the the desire to see that kind of an expensive it takes a heavy toll and if they could resolve this and maybe he leaves the scene and um, makes some sort of a deal that that would avoid this both international and national embarrassment. Wow, there must be some former prime ministers wondering why I didn't take those trials eight years. <laughs> I can't believe it. Well, that. don't forget, it's not one case. Right, and, that's true. And <laughs> some of these cases are very, very complicated, the charges. And I'm not sure in many other countries you would they would be brought to to trial on these charges. Right. I, I got to go back to the significant statement you just made earlier that you've seen or have felt that certain things do get stalled because of the current situation. Yet, we, and, and you know, Netanyahu and Pompeo met this week, yet all we hear about is the cooperation that continues with specific exercises and the projects that the United States and Israeli intelligence continue to work on. Do any of those defense-minded categories get affected by this whole election mess? Uh, well, the military, the IDF, continues to function and to do its work. It's generally somewhat independent. Obviously, the prime minister uh, plays a key role. He appointed Bennett as the defense minister, and he's been active in the couple of weeks that he's there. But um, does it cast a pal over them? Yes. Does When he meets with um, uh, Pompeo, as he did this week, and by the way, they talked about mutual defense pact of yeah. some sort, and that is beginning greater and greater currency. I know Jensen developed a draft that the people are talking about. It's not a commitment of U.S. troops. Uh, they're not asking for any soldiers, but in time of crisis, and given that what Israel has faced, the, the uh, 1,500 rockets and mortars the past year, 2,600 in the last two years, the Iran's increasing 
build up around uh, Israel and, and more efforts in Syria and in Lebanese uh, in, in Lebanon and the, the disruptions. Um, that uh, that's an interesting new element that has been uh, seeing gaining currency is the idea of some sort of a of a mutual defense pact or security pact of of some kind. Uh, but yes, I think people, um, you know, an economy that is strong and continues to grow ultimately needs the kind of guidance and the commitment of ministers and a cabinet and a, and a Knesset that can pass laws. So those things are being held up, and, and I have seen it in other areas that I don't want to mention, but the, um, it, it's very important that they, they put a government in place and competent people who will run the ministries. Israel has amazing potential now. We saw in the U.N. that, that 13 countries that used to vote against Israel voted for Israel, with Israel against this Palestinian propaganda machine that the UN runs, and I think in total 54 were against it, and we have to credit the United States uh, again took the lead, uh, along and Canada, Australia, others uh, joined, but also uh, uh, 13 countries that used to abstain voted against. So there are positive uh, messages and gestures, but there are very troubling signs involving uh, certainly. We'll talk about Iran and, and yeah. uh, Turkey, etc. You need to have a functioning government and not everybody distracted, like here with the um, um, impeachment trial. Nobody can say that it doesn't distract Congress. They may still function on other issues, but fundamentally all the attention, all the energy is being sucked out by that. Uh, you mentioned the uh, the statistics regarding the U.N. resolutions, and sure enough, thank goodness, as you just pointed out, uh, there are more countries that are, you know, are, that are uh, understanding that Israel is being treated unfairly. But when you look at the statistics, which I just saw this week in terms of a number of UN resolutions, it's all Israel. I mean, it's all, it's, and I assume what I saw this week, based on this week, the statistics is, is probably replicated many, many times. Where there's no other topics being discussed other than Israel with the UN resolution. And there's no country that is subject to. There were five resolutions passed against Israel this year, and by the vote, the way the vote that I mentioned was the, the, still 87 to 54. This with week, 23 abstentions. I assume you mean this week, right? This week, this yeah, week, you, five. You said, no, you said this year resolutions. Right. right. Uh, you know that that this year there was one resolution passed against Iran. I mean about Iran. One about. I mean, about all the other countries, there's hardly any attention. Israel's the only one that has its own agenda, the Human Rights Council, its own kind of automatic resolutions. There are about 20, usually after the General Assembly, that are introduced against Israel. And there is still the anti-Israel majority that comes into effect. But we've seen that it is, that it is being diminished uh, somewhat, and a lot of diplomacy goes into it, a lot of efforts, and certainly the leadership of the United States in this case, again, important. Um, but I'm, I'm not, it hasn't yet crossed the threshold. I think we have to credit Secretary General Guterres, who's um, been very outspoken. He called on Hezbollah and Lebanon to control Hezbollah and disarm. He's um, made other statements and certainly been outspoken on anti-Semitism. All right, uh, I, I, Iran, let's, uh, we'll do the protests in a minute. Let's start with, because uh, we haven't spoken in a couple of weeks, uh, Iran moving into Iraq. What could you tell us about that? Well, Iran has been moving into Iraq for years. I think for the last 10 years, I talked about the Shiite crescent that they want to establish, which runs from Iran through Iraq, Syria, 
Lebanon to the Mediterranean. They have achieved it largely. They are a strong presence in all of these countries. Iraq, though, is becoming a staging ground because they know that they can't fire uh, missiles and stuff from Iran itself because they don't want the retribution. They don't want to see Israeli F-35s flying overhead as they did and sent a message to the supreme leader and the leadership there. And it's much easier. So they they are to go from Iraq. Uh, The Iraqis don't want it. The Iraqis are demonstrating against the Iranian presence. So did the Lebanese, although Hezbollah still remains in a poll this week popular in, in Lebanon amongst the Shiites. Not so much amongst, and, and not so popular with the um, uh, third of the Christians support him, and um, I think um, more than half of the Sunnis don't. But the uh, but the Shiites do, even though they demonstrated against him, and they don't like some of the things they're bringing to bear. They don't want to have a war that brings the destruction that they have seen in, in the past. Iraq in uh, Syria, so Iran has moved short-range missiles into into Iraq. Um, there's now a, um, an effort to, to try and identify a new prime minister because Mahdi stepped down during the demonstrations. And we see that Soleimani of Iran, the head of the Quds forces, is the dominant figure in that process. And he brought along now a new guy from, from Hezbollah who's been seen with him uh, as they try to identify the candidate that they want to impose. Um the people don't want that. He he was he is the guy who was in charge of all of the foreign efforts of of the IRGC, the Revolutionary Guard. Um, lost a favor recently because of the events in Iraq, which he was responsible for. But yes, we see the buildup in in Iraq and the use of um, perhaps Yemen as well as a staging ground. Something Netanyahu warned about. An American ship intercepted uh, a small boat carrying a very sophisticated. Um, ballistic missile equipment to what we believe to, to the Houthis in Yemen. Uh, and so they could be building up their capacity also to, to fire missiles, et cetera, at Israel, at American troops. And they, and they say that these missiles can be used against U, U.S. bases. The 21 American bases are in, in their sites. Uh, I mean, they say these things publicly. Yeah. It's not, um, yeah, it's you not, know, it's not, not uh, secret. And they said they're the fourth strongest missile power and, um, and, and a NATO statement that said 110 uh, missile bases in Iran could launch 20,000 missiles a day. They are not bashful about their military potential. By the way, we talk about the world ignoring them, um, and we've pointed that out a million times. The world has started paying somewhat uh, attention to the way they're treating their protesters. Have, they, have their tactics changed at all over the last few days? No, and they they don't publicize it necessarily, but we know that the estimates are up to 1,000 people were killed. The, but they shut down the internet. There's no way for people to get information out for for a long period. They um, uh, they arrested at least seven thousand, maybe eight thousand, um, and and it's interesting that we've even seen attacks by Mousavi, a former candidate for president, who blamed the supreme leader. We have seen um, uh, that some of the Basiji wouldn't participate in in uh, the attacks that they were uh, ordered to. Um, uh, to carry out uh, that the, the I mean there are a lot of developments involved that are um, uh, clear that this is the worst demonstrations in 40 years much bigger and broader more than 100 cities including all the big 
major cities uh, were, were involved in this. And Iran, at the same time, is more blatant in the violations of the of the JCPOA, the deal. Now the Europeans are faced with a real tough dilemma. Britain, Germany, and France came out first time really uh, condemning what the Iranians are doing, but they're in a dilemma because they're the ones backing them all the time. The six European countries oh. announced that they would uh, form this Instanex, which is supposed to bypass American sanctions on the banking system, the SWIFT uh, system. Uh, it won't. It won't work. But the fact is that they're still, on the one hand, covering for them and, and looking for excuses. But the um, the fact is their economy is going down. Their foreign reserves are very low, $86 billion, but they have uh, only access to about 10% of it because of the sanctions. And they're, they're headed towards uh, – they are in a crisis, and the, the demonstrations are in part about that as well. And, the, um, and we see that at the same time, Hezbollah is using the Internet to incite against the to incite Israeli Arabs and the people in the West Bank to against Israel to, to try and incite violence uh, Iran is using the internet against Israel and um, the the um, uh, you see that the power that Hezbollah has is bigger than most most countries with 130,000 uh, missiles but you also i mean what you pointed out about the the european attitude towards what's happening with the iranians explains why the western media and leadership in certain european countries did go out of the way to point out that the iranian tactics against the protesters have changed even though you you tell us they really haven't but now it makes sense because they're so invested in 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 believing that iran is different than than the world or that you know israel and the united states think they are that they have to go out there, and if they even get a hint of a statement by the Iranians that they've eased up on the protesters, they have to go ahead and trumpet that throughout the world. That's right, and they are. Um, um, there, there are many. There's so many aspects to what Iran has um, has been doing. You know that Israel bombed. And, oh, somebody bombed near Deraizan again. Uh, a big Hezbollah or Iranian. Uh, arms depot that was huge explosions and that was this week last week there was another one and they they've showed pictures of uh, of the devastation that was brought on this IRGC uh, headquarters that the um the IEA itself is pressing uh, um Iran into giving the information because of they found enriched uranium and they're not doing it so the Europeans are like caught between these various uh, pressures on the one hand wanting to see JCPOA and uh, it con in, uh, continued and still saying that it's the pathway to stop Iran's nuclear program. At the same time, they're admitting that Iran is violating it, and Iran is moving faster yeah. and faster towards the missile capacity, ballistic missile capacity, nuclear capacity, installing the 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 um, uh, faster centrifuges and three other steps in violation. And, and they say they're going to continue to take these um, uh, these kind of measures. So countries have to make a decision where they're where they're going to come down on on this, and the um, you know and the danger is that anything a spark can set off a conflagration in in the region, and that Israel while it has great capacity to defend itself, uh, it can't you know when when you're going to have five thousand missiles being fired a day or ten thousand missiles or attempts we know that the Iranians, the Hezbollah are trying to get on the Golan and supposedly have a greater presence in the, in the region there. Israel has, try, has stopped the tunnels from underground, the missiles from overground, and 
drove back troops, uh, drew positions that got too close. But the, it's, a, it's a huge undertaking. And again, I think it's the imperative of having a government that monitors it. And I think the prime minister stays on top of it. But it, it requires, uh, um, I think, a really all-out effort to, um, to counter because it, it, it is spreading in the region. Wishy-washy doesn't work against an enemy like this, and no one's better at wishy-washy than the Europeans. <laughs> you know that Winston Churchill said, appeasement is feeding the crocodile in the hope that it will lead you last. We are seeing again the appeasement. Uh, after they acknowledge that they have these nuclear-capable missiles, they, the Europeans, and, and yet at the same time they continue um, these appeasement policies, which are causing are cancerous within their countries, and certainly in terms of their the foreign uh, interests. We saw at, at the NATO uh, conference, and uh, you know we don't see the kind of tough stance that this really requires. Yeah. And speak about uh, and Turkey for Turkey too, by right. the way. And talk about being eaten last geographically. They ain't going to be eaten last. <laughs> They're in a much more vulnerable position than anybody in the U.S. is right now. Of course, so. they they will be. They, they, you know, when uh, Chamberlain, Winston Churchill told Chamberlain he had a choice between um, disgrace and war. You chose disgrace, and now you'll have war. Right. Well, they chose disgrace, appeasement, and God forbid they will face the, the price for that. Yeah, no question. Finally, uh, the United States suspended military aid to Lebanon. I didn't realize Lebanon was getting military aid, and frankly... With the with speaking about wishy washy, you know, with, with not being able to follow who's really in control of the Lebanese government, why did it take till now to do this? Well, they give one hundred five million dollars. It was frozen a few weeks ago. Uh, it seems that within the administration there were differences uh, over this, uh, but um, the the uh, State Department, whoever was pressing and they released the funds. The reason why people wanted to hold it up, they wanted to build up the Lebanese army to be able to withstand, to, to be stronger against Hezbollah. But the fact is that Hezbollah today is the dominant force in Lebanon. And they say it's fungible and you give money to the Lebanese uh, army, it ends up with, or weapons, it ends up with um, uh, Hezbollah. So they're saying now that the money will be given and monitored so that it's only used by the Lebanese army for its purposes. But today, unlike the last Lebanese war, um, Hezbollah is no longer an independent uh, entity. It is part, and it is the government. And therefore, a lot of people argue that this this money, it's it's not wise to to be forthcoming with the money. Uh, There were members of Congress and others who wanted to see the money paid to, to Lebanon. Obviously, we, we would like to see a strong and independent Lebanon like before with all the delicate balances uh, within the population, but it, it is not possible because of the uh, Hezbollah's tremendous power and, and the resources there. They're hurting because of the cutback in funds, um, the shrinking support for Hezbollah from, from Iran, uh, but they still remain a very potent force and are used by Iran all over the region, but around the world as well. Did you see the uh, a, a son of a former member of the Syrian government offered to get involved in the quest for Ellie Cohen's remains for a million dollars? Yes, I saw <laughs> that. Um, I, I don't know that we could uh, put too much weight on yeah. the on the promise, um, but he will gladly take the money. It will certainly take the money, but he wants the cash up front. I think yeah, I would assume so. <laughs> 
Uh, I thank you very much. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak again next week. And one thing we should remember yeah. is what the, the administration's move about the legality of the of the, the communities in Yudon Shomron. Right. Um, it was really, it's a legal uh, issue, not a political issue, and it's being distorted and misrepresented in so much of the media. But um, it's uh, an important statement, the same position that Ronald Reagan took when he was uh, president. It's, uh, it doesn't prejudge outcome. It doesn't talk about individual communities. It just talks about, in principle, the right, which is enshrined in a lot of the agreements, et cetera, signed over the years. And obviously there are people who, who don't like it and disagree with it. Um, but we should at least have the facts clear about what happened. A great point, and we should start with our own families and students, make sure they have those facts straight, and then they can start disseminating it to others. Thank you, Malcolm, of a wonderful Shabbos. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM.